This is your world. A world scarred by forest fires and mass shootings. A world where mothers die too soon. A world where pornography is rampant. A world marked by war. A world where we choose to disobey again and again. Have mercy on us, O God. Have mercy on this world. Bring relief to the people in California and Pennsylvania. Bring comfort to the Johnsons in their grief. Bring hope to anyone addicted. Have mercy on all veterans. Have mercy on us. Give us hope, we pray. Hope that many people around the world are working to heal the planet. Hope that there is life after death. Hope that sobriety can last day after day, year after year. Hope that sin does not have the final say. Give us the hope of resurrection, that you are doing something in us, around us, through us, to move your world from darkness to light, from death to life. Open our eyes, merciful God, so that we can see you as you are, not as we would want you to be. Open our eyes, generous God, to all the ways you shape our world. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. So as we open your word, open our eyes, our hearts, our wills to you. We pray through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. So a key part of my preparation on Sunday afternoons involves giving my sermon out loud a few times. That didn't happen today. So I'm going old school. I'm using notes. Uh, We're going to look at John 9, which also in the beauty of (laughs) providence is probably the longest chapter we're going to (laughs) read. So we're looking at John 9, page 871 in your pew Bibles. As I was uh, studying commentaries, there was someone who called the man born blind the man who always tells the truth. And so as we read through the story, just think about that. It's not a big point in the sermon, I just thought it was cool. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind, so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus had said this, He spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means 
sent. Then he washed, went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how are your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know because I've never seen him. They brought the Pharisees, brought to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also began to ask him how he'd received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received the sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God, which is the oath language, tell the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he's a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him. The Greek there is, You're seeing him, you're looking at him right now, and the one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believed, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. 
Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sinned, but now that you say we see, your sin remains. This is the word of the Lord. Could you me my water, Paul? Thank you. So if you ever read the comics, you know that God is always portrayed in the comics as uh, an older white guy wearing a robe, has a beard. He's usually standing on clouds or sitting on a throne in the middle of clouds. And when you see that image represented in the comics, you know that they're trying to depict God because that's how God looks in the comics. So you don't have to look at the comic and go, well, who is that? Who are they trying to portray there? Because we all know that's what God is supposed to look like in the comics. That's how God looks in the comics. When we read this story in John 9, everybody here has an idea of how God looks. What God looks like, how God shows up, what God does, what God blesses. For the man born blind, God was a punisher. That was what God looked like to him, someone who had punished him. Because ever since he had been born, people had been telling him that it was his sin or the sin of his parents that made him blind, that he was paying the price, the righteous price, for something he or his parents had done. So he grew up thinking that God didn't really like him that he'd been punished by God, and that he deserved the life he got, which was a life of begging, a life with no friends, a life with no spouse, a life with no children, a life where he couldn't go into the temple courts and worship, a life where he was on the outs of society, a life where he would sit and people would walk right by him, a life where he would sit and people would talk about him as if he also couldn't hear. The disciples look at him and they say, so Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, like this guy or his parents? How many times in this person's life was he used as an illustration? How many times did a mom walk by with a kid and say, if you don't straighten up, you're gonna turn out like that? So when the disciples raised this question, this man may have just bowed his head, just, just waited for it to pass. Who sinned? And imagine how he felt when Jesus said, neither. You can imagine like, him lifting his head and turning toward the voice, neither. I, I didn't sin. My parents didn't sin? Really? This wasn't my fault? Then imagine what he thinks when Jesus says, actually, God's gonna use this to bring glory to his name. God's gonna use this? God's gonna use me? In fact, some Greek scholars who studied John say that the right translation of this particular grammatical phrase isn't what we have here, but 
Actually, something like this. Neither sinned, period. But so that the work of God may be displayed in his life, we must do the works of him who sent me while it was still day. Which when you think about Jesus, that makes a lot more sense. The point is not that he was born blind so that Jesus could show up years later and heal him. The point is he was born blind and the work of God can be displayed in his life. It's a both and. So Jesus spits, which wasn't allowed on the Sabbath, and then he makes mud, which wasn't allowed on the Sabbath, and then he takes the mud and he puts it on the guy's eyes, which could not have been that comfortable, and he says to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent, and if you've been to Jerusalem and you've walked through Hezekiah's tunnel, the thing that you get to at the end of Hezekiah's tunnel is the pool of Siloam. And the reason it's called sent is because Hezekiah channeled all the water from one place over to the, he sent the water through to a safer place so Jerusalem could have walls and still have water. We could talk more about that later because it's really cool. But they called the pool sent. And so there's this beautiful play on words that John is pointing out here. See, Jesus was sent and then he sends this guy to the pool called sent. I mean, that's just John. Like, there are, there are so many commentators that just write so much on John 9. Like, you have whole books written on John 9. There's just so much going on. This pool of Siloam was the only pool of fresh water, spring water, living water that was found in Jerusalem. And that's where he goes. And he washes, and he's able to see And those of you who study brains and anatomy and vision, you know that you can restore eyesight, but there's a lot of wiring in the brain that has to figure out that the thing you feel is the thing that you can see. And it takes a lot if you've only done feeling to be able to look at something and know what it is. And somehow, Jesus like does all of it. The the healing is all of it. His eyes are healed, his brain is healed, everything is healed. It's a miracle and no one believes him. No one believes him. You can imagine him walking back and he's like, wow. And a husband passes him and the wife passes him and they go, one of them says, isn't that the guy that used to to beg? And the other one goes, no, that's not the guy, it just looks like him. No, 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 it is, I think it's that guy. That guy was blind, this guy's not blind. Are you blind? And so this is what happens. More people, they're like, I don't know, is that the guy? Is that not the guy? And he's like, I am the guy. It's me. I'm the guy. Right here. Again, people talking around him, about him, but not to him. They don't believe what they see. They bring him to the religious authorities, and this is when we find out it's Sabbath. Bum, bum, bum. And then this debate begins, which takes up the rest of the chapter. You see, this doesn't look like God because he he made mud on the Sabbath. He broke the Sabbath. This does look like God because he healed the person, like he was blind and now he sees. That looks like God. God doesn't do things like that on the Sabbath. Well, today he did. That's the debate. And so they say, let's bring in his parents. Now, 
John gives us the clue that the parents are gonna be scared because there's this rule that says if you say Jesus is the Messiah, you're shut out of the synagogue. Now that doesn't mean that you have now Saturday mornings free. Being shut out of the synagogue means you're shut out of the community. No one's gonna do business with you. No one's gonna buy from you. No one's gonna talk to you. Shun. No unshun, just shun. It's an office reference for those of you who didn't get that. <laughs> so they are scared. And the religious leaders ask him, is this your kid? Was he really blind? Yes, it's our kid, he was really blind, but other than that, we really have no comment. We have no comment. So the debate goes on. Is this God? Is this not God? Does this look like God? I don't know if this looks like God. Do we believe what we see? So what we see in this story is that John, the author of the gospel, is playing with themes of light and darkness, which he does through his entire book. You may remember way back in the beginning when we started the series, we talked about John 1, right? John 1, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And then in John 3, which we didn't study together here, Nicodemus is a religious leader, and he comes to Jesus at night. And he comes at night because he doesn't want anyone to see him. And then in the next story, we have a Samaritan woman who meets Jesus at high noon, bright sunshine, middle of the day, and she sees Jesus for who he really is. And then in John 8, at the Feast of Tabernacles, where they would do this big thing with lights, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. It's, it's a theme that goes all the way through the Gospel of John, light, darkness, Jesus is light, darkness, bad. And then we get here to John 9, a man who was blind and now he sees, not just literally, but spiritually. What John pulls through his gospel is the fact that Jesus wants us to see. He wants people to see. In fact, he heals more blind people than he does any other kind of healing in the, in the gospels. That's the one that's recorded more than anything else. And when you look in the Old Testament as to what the Messiah is gonna do, that's a big clue. He heals blind people. Jesus wants people to see. Jesus wants us to see. Because the truth of the matter is you and I are the religious leaders of the day. In this story, we're the religious leaders. We are not the blind man. We are the ones who like our good religious institutions. We're fans of them. We have clear ideas about how God looks how he acts, what he should bless. We're pretty sure that God likes people who get their assignments done on time more than he likes people who don't. We're pretty sure God likes educated people more than uneducated people. We're pretty sure he likes wealthy people more than poor people and people who are good looking and kind and don't swear and go to church, people like us. We're pretty sure God likes those people. And we're pretty sure most days that we can figure out who's in and who's out. We really like having rules and categories that help us sort these things out. Go to chapel, God points, God likes you. Don't go to chapel, God doesn't like you. We're pretty sure we've got a system 
We're pretty sure. Oh, that person went to dorm worship. God, good. Oh, that person got up, went to church, even though it was cold. God, good. God points. We're pretty sure we have a system. We're the religious leaders of the day. We like to know who's in and who's out. And if you asked us, we could tell you. Jesus baffled the religious leaders of his day. Was he in? Was he out? Obviously he's in because he just healed a blind man. Read Isaiah. Obviously he's out because he made mud on the Sabbath. Read all the laws. So they ask the blind man, what do you think? I don't know. Here's what I know. I was blind, now I see. Here's what I know. God listens to people who worship and obey him. Here's what I know. You can't figure this out, but you're talking to me. You're looking at me, and I'm looking at you. It seems to me you all have missed the major point in this whole incident. I once was blind, now I see. Do you want me to go over it one more time? <laughs> he gets a little punchy. The religious leaders don't like it. They do to him what his parents feared would happen to them. They kick him out. That's what that means. They drove him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue. They said, you are not welcome. So for just a few short hours between the time he was healed until this moment, he was in, he was in the community. He was one of the in people. I wonder if he got to the temple in those few moments or whether he was just being you know, pushed around to different places. So he's in for this really short time until the, the religious leaders say, no, you're out. You're out. And that's where Jesus finds him. Twice, Jesus finds him when he's out when he's been on the margins, when he's been rejected, when no one else sees him, when no one else talks to him, when no one else will touch him. That's when Jesus shows up. That's when Jesus says, I see you. That's when Jesus shows up and says, you're in. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me, says the man who always tells the truth. Tell me who he is. I don't know who he is. You tell me, I will believe. And Jesus gets the beautiful moment of looking him in the eyes and saying, it's me. You're, you're looking at me. And the man in that moment does what we hope any one of us would do in that moment, and he worships. He's in in every way he needs to be in. He has learned in this story that God looks like someone who touches him and speaks to him and brings him home. God doesn't look like someone who punishes someone and then sets them aside. He's learned what God really looks like.
God is the one who welcomes people home, not the God who kicks people out. I wonder if a lot of the time we live as if we think we're going to get kicked out. That if we don't do enough things or do them in the right way, God's not going to like us. We carry around the anxiety of perfectionism or the anxiety of do better than yesterday-ism or the anxiety of at least do better than that person-ism. And we compare with how much we think God likes us with how much maybe God likes that person. How are we matching up? Are we, are we in? Are we out? Have we done enough? Am I following the rules? Does God really like me? This story flips those lies on their heads because they are lies. They are lies that tell you you have to do more for God to like you. They're lies that tell you that God likes that person more than that person. Those are just lies. This man did not win a contest to get Jesus to come and talk to him. He was not on Jerusalem's Got Talent. That's not how Jesus came over to him. That's not how this works. He was just sitting there on the edge. And since it was Sabbath, he probably wasn't getting any money because people didn't carry money on the Sabbath. And he may not even have been begging because in his line of work, that was work. So he was just sitting there waiting for the sun to go down so he could ask people for money one more time. He was just sitting there full of need. He was just sitting there rejected by anybody, just sitting there. And Jesus goes toward him, not because of who that blind man was, but because of who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. This is who he is. He moves toward the person on the margins. He moves toward the person on the outside. He moves toward the person who has thought their entire lives that God didn't like them. And he places his hands on them and he heals them. And he says, not only does God like you, but God loves you. God is for you. God is in pursuit of you. Jesus gives grace, undeserved compassion, undeserved mercy. That's grace. And it's the grace that leads this man to truth. Another one of the big themes we've seen in John, that it's grace that leads people to truth. And the truth for this man is that God is for him. And the bookend of the story is that Jesus pursues him twice when he's on the margins. That's what God looks like. God looks like grace, and God looks like light, and God looks like healing. God does not look like a white man with a beard on a cloud. On the TV show Blackish, they occasionally use the refrain, look at God. Omar is getting released from prison. Look at God. You've been married 20 years. Oh, look at God. 
And I think, yeah, that's, that's what God looks like. That's what God looks like. So what if we started to, to say that? What if we started to teach each other what God really looks like? When we see someone healed, look at God. When we see someone come to Jesus, look at God. When we see someone forgive their roommate, look at God. When we see someone content with their weight, look at God. When we see someone who stops trying to impress everybody else, look at God. When we see somebody who starts giving away money more than they're worried about getting money, look at God. When we see somebody who serves regularly day in, day out, look at God. When we see people gathered in worship on a Sunday night when they do not have to be, look at God. When one of us moves towards someone on the margin, look at God. When one of us says to someone, you're in, look at God. When we bring grace to another and remind them that they are forgiven, look at God. When we bring light into dark places, look at God. When we celebrate resurrection, even in the face of death, look at God. Jesus wants his people to see. He wants us to see who he really is. The Jesus who shows up when we're on the margins. The Jesus who heals when we have no hope. The Jesus who says, the one you're looking at, that's him. You once were lost, now you're found. You were blind, and now you see. Praise his holy name. Amen. Jesus, we thank you that you want us to see you for who you really are, not for who we think you should be. You want us to see you as one who says to us, you're enough. I've done it all. Come home. Thank you, Jesus. Now you baffle religious leaders, and you continue to do so today. Help us to be radical in offering grace and humble enough to receive it. Thank you that your light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Amen.